Portions of the following program may be pre-recorded. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. your heart is not hard and your eyes are not dry and your prayers are not cold and your faith is not old otherwise that just about means all of us doesn't it my eyes are dry my eyes are dry faith is old my faith is old heart is hard my heart is hard prayers are cold, my prayers are cold, and I know how, and I know how, I ought to be, I ought to be alive to you, alive to you, and dead to me. before him the Lord says draw near to God and he will draw near to you cleanse your hands you sinners purify your hearts you double minded mourn, weep, be miserable let your laughter be turned into mourning your joy into gloom pour the anointing of God out upon all of us God so that we can be a pleasing people My eyes. 
specifically about them. Raise your hand up. Specifically about them. Be honest. Glory to God. As we sing this next song together, I'd like those people to open the curtains so we have more room down here, please. like those of you that feel you need to come and commit your life to Jesus as Lord, possibly for the first time in your life. Those of you who have not been living a right life before God. You've had bitterness in your heart. You've had sin on your hands. And God wants you to come to the fountain and wash it clean. In true repentance, true faith, and true holiness. Come to a holy God and become a holy people. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. I'm going to be touching today a very, very sensitive subject. Yesterday, the broadcast 
was titled, Jesus Can Deliver You Today. Jesus Can Deliver You Today. Today the the broadcast is second. But will Jesus deliver you today? No. So today's broadcast is the answer to tomorrow or yesterday's, and then there will be tomorrow's. Jesus can deliver you today. But will Jesus deliver you today? No. This morning early, I received a phone call from a young man who desperately needed prayer for a physical condition. I've prayed for him before, and he has been healed. And then he walks into some kind of disobedience, and the problem suddenly returns. Will he be healed today? I've prayed for him. I've prayed for relief for him. But no, he will not be healed today. What's going on? Why is it that God's people don't have their prayers answered? Why aren't my prayers answered? Once in a while, a specific prayer will be answered for the deliverance of another person or to deal with some issue that is now currently in my life? But will it be answered today? No, usually no. I was praying about this issue, and my mind went back to a testimony of Charles Finney. I want to read just a portion of that, so you'll you'll see how he understood this issue and how I've come to understand it. He's a young attorney. He writes, I was particularly struck with the fact that the prayers that I had listened to from week to week in the prayer meeting of the church were not answered. Indeed, from continued prayers... And from other remarks, I understood that those who offered those prayers did not regard their prayers as having been answered. I heard the people pray continually for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, just as others. I heard them confess that they had not received what they had asked for. Now, when I read my Bible, I learned that Christ had said in regard to prayer and answers, to prayer, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. I also read that God is more willing to give his Holy Spirit to those who ask him than earthly earthly parents are to give good gifts to their children. This is verse 11. 
the inconsistency, the fact that they prayed so much and were not answered, was a sad stumbling block for me. I did not know what to make of it. Was I to believe that these people were not truly Christians, and therefore did not prevail with God? Did I misunderstand the promise and the teaching of the Bible on this subject? Or was I to conclude that the Bible was simply not true? Here was something inexplicable to me. And at one point it seemed that it would almost drive me into skepticism about whether God even existed. It seemed to me that the teaching of the Bible did not at all agree with the facts that were before my eyes. On one occasion, when I was in one of the prayer meetings, some of the attendees asked if I wanted them to pray for me. I told them no, because I did not see that God answered their prayers. I said, I suppose I need to be prayed for, but I am conscious. I am conscious that I am a sinner, that I am not a Christian. But I do not see that it would do any good for you to pray for me, for you are continually asking, but you do not receive. You've been praying for a revival of religion ever since I've been in Adams, and yet you've not seen it happen. You've been praying for the Holy Spirit to descend upon you, and yet you complain of your spiritual leanness. You've prayed enough since I have attended these meetings to have prayed the devil out of Adams. If there is any virtue in your prayers... But here you are, still praying, still complaining. I was quite earnest and probably very irritable as a result of being brought face to face with religious truth, which was a new state of things for me. On further reading of my Bible, it struck me that their prayers were not answered because they did not comply with the conditions upon which God had promised to answer prayer. They did not pray in faith, in the sense of expecting God to give them the things for which they asked. For some time this thought only led me to more questions, rather than to answer anything definite. However, this relieved me. After struggling in that way for two or three years, I finally concluded that the confusion there might be either in my own mind or my pastor's mind or in the mind of the church. The Bible was, nevertheless, the true word of God. Thus being settled, I was brought face to face with the question of accepting Christ and his gospel or pursuing a worldly life. The Holy Spirit was so much at work in me I did not know it then, that I could not leave this question unsettled for much longer. Now I stop reading Charles Finney for a moment to say to you that this has been the number one issue in my life. I've not seen the church have their prayers answered, 
And finally, I've seen the church just stop praying, except in formal occasions or personal shooting prayers at God, hoping he'll give me that parking spot, but not expecting it. Basically, I've just seen people stop praying. Prayer meetings. I remember in Pastor David Wilkerson's, the first time I was there when I was anointed to the to the ministry of the National Prayer Chapel. The place was jammed. The Holy Spirit was moving in great power in the congregation, so much so it put goosebumps on my back and my head. My hair was like standing on end. I knew I was in the presence of Almighty God. Several years later, I went back wanting again to attend one of those wonderful prayer meetings. And I said, Brother Dave, are you having your prayer meeting tonight? He said, yes, we're going to have a prayer meeting tonight, but you'll find there will be almost no one there. That puzzled me. And that night I was in New York City, planning to stay the weekend. And I went to the prayer meeting, and it was almost empty. People didn't come. I had some very serious conversations with Brother David Wilkerson about that question. And he was puzzled by it as well. Why has the Holy Spirit left our prayer meeting? I'll let that question just resonate with you for a moment and continue reading a bit more, just a little bit more of Charles Finney. One Sunday night in the autumn of 1821, I made up my mind that I would settle once and for all the question of my soul's salvation, if that was possible. I would make my peace with God. I was very proud without knowing it. I had supposed that I did not care much about what other others' opinion of me was. I had in fact been quite obvious in attending the prayer meetings and paying attention to religion while in Adams. In this respect, I was... I had led the church at times to think that I must be an anxious inquirer. But when I had to face the question, I found that I was very unwilling to have anyone know that I was seeking the salvation of my soul. When I prayed, I would only whisper my prayer after having plugged the keyhole to the door, lest someone should discover that I was engaged in prayer. Before that time, my Bible lay on the table with the rest of my law books. It had never occurred to me that it should cause me to feel ashamed. I was reading it as I was my other law books. But after I had addressed myself in earnest to the subject of my own salvation, I kept my Bible out of sight as much as possible. 
If I was reading it when anyone came in, I would throw my law books on the top of it to create the impression that I had not been holding it in my hands. Instead of being outspoken and unwilling to talk with Instead of being outspoken and willing to talk with anybody and everybody on the subject of religion as before, I found myself unwilling to converse with anybody. I did not want to see my minister because I did not want to let him know how I felt. I had no confidence that he would understand my case and give me direction, the direction I needed. For the same reasons, I avoided conversation with the elders of the church or with any of the Christian people. I was ashamed to let them know how I felt on the one hand. On the other hand, I was afraid they would misdirect me. I felt myself left only to the scriptures. During Monday and Tuesday, my convictions increased. But still it seemed as if my heart grew harder. I could not shed a tear. I could not pray. I had no opportunity to pray above a whisper, and frequently I felt that I would find relief in prayer if I could be alone, where I could use my voice and express myself. I was shy and avoided speaking to anybody on any subject as much as I could and I made certain not to arouse any suspicion that I was seeking the salvation of my soul. Tuesday night I became very nervous, and in the night a strange feeling came over me, as if I were about to die. I knew that if I did die, I would sink down into hell, but quieted myself as best I could, until morning time. At an early hour on Wednesday, I started to the office. But just before I arrived at the office, something seemed to confront me as if an inward voice said to me, What are you waiting for? Did you not promise to give your heart to God? And what are you trying to do? Are you endeavoring to work out a righteousness of your own? At this point, the whole question of gospel salvation was open to me in a marvelous manner. I think I then saw as clearly as I have ever in my life the reality and fullness of the atonement of Jesus. I saw that his work is a finished work, and that instead of needing any righteousness of my own to recommend me to God, I had to submit myself to the righteousness of God through Christ. Gospel salvation seemed to be an offer to be accepted, something that was full and complete, and all that was necessary on my part was to agree to give up my sins and accept Christ. Instead of being a thing to be bought, brought about by my own works, salvation was a thing to be found entirely in the Lord Jesus, who presented himself before me as my God and my Savior. North of the village and over a hill lay a stretch of woods in which I walked almost daily when the weather was pleasant. 
It was now the 10th of October, and the time was past for my frequent walks there. Nevertheless, instead of going to the office, I turned and bent my course toward the woods, feeling that I must be alone and away from all human ears and eyes, so that I could pour out my prayer to God. Stop a moment. I'm wanting you to see that many of us have identified as Christians because we have intellectually agreed and we have emotionally agreed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he's saying something very significant. And it's something you have to understand if you're going to have your prayers answered. There is a submission to Jesus, full and complete. And all that is necessary on my part is to agree with God to give up my sins and accept Jesus Christ. It's not a thing to be brought about by good works, by attendance at church, by paying tithe. This acceptance of Jesus that's necessary for my prayers to be answered is a wholesale rejection of all of my sin, including my pride and to give myself utterly into the hand of Jesus, knowing that his blood bought my salvation. But that salvation is not available to me so long as I hang on to my pride, to my sins, to my arrogance, being in charge of my own life, I've been speaking with you about the necessity of this complete giving of oneself into the hands of Jesus, recognizing that Jesus is working behind the scenes as he was with Joseph, as he was in the story of Xerxes when he chose a new queen. All of that was being worked out by Jesus because the queen had totally given herself into the hands of God. And her uncle. And God arranged a total deliverance from Haman, that evil wicked representative of the devil's kingdom. He's in the process of doing that in your life. But whether he will ever answer the question in your life, yes, I will deliver you today. If that's ever going to happen, you're going to have to give yourself utterly over. Recognizing your pride and your hardness of heart. 
Now let me continue for a moment. My pride showed itself. As I went over the hill, it occurred to me that someone might see me and suppose that I was going away to pray. Yet there was probably not a person on the earth who'd have su suspected such a thing. But so great was my pride, and so much was I possessed with the fear of man, that I sulked along the fence until I got far, far out of sight, so that no one from the village could see me. You're seeing the signs of pride. If you're ashamed of sitting and reading your scriptures anywhere you are, it's pride. I made my way into the woods nearly a quarter of a mile, went over on the other side of the hill, and found a place where some large trees had fallen across each other, leaving an open place between them. There I saw I could make a kind of closet. I crept into this place and knelt down. As I turned to go into the woods, I recollect having said, I will give my heart to God, or I never will come down from here. I recall repeating this as I went up, I will give my heart to God before I ever come down again. But when I attempted to pray, I found that my heart would not pray. I had supposed that I could only be where I could speak aloud without being overheard. I would pray freely. But when I tried it, I was mute. I had nothing to say to God. Or at least I could not say but a few words. And those without heart. In attempting to pray, I would hear a rustling in the leaves and would stop and look up to see if someone was coming. I did this several times. Finally, I found myself sinking fast to despair. I said to myself, I cannot pray. My heart is dead to God, and it will not pray. I then reproached myself for having promised to give my heart to God before I left the woods, and when I tried I found I could not give my heart to God. My soul hung back, and my heart was in no way going out to God. I began to feel deeply that it was too late, that I was past hope, that God must have given up on me. I began to think my promise rash that I would give my heart to God that day or die in the attempt. It seemed to me as if it were binding on my soul. And yet I was going to break my vow. A great discouragement came over me, and I felt almost too weak to get up on my knees. Now, what I want you to hear very clearly This will happen to any person who finally decides they're going to get totally honest with God. They're going to stop lying to him and to themselves. And they begin to recognize that the gift of Jesus Christ is exactly that, a gift, not something to be earned. It is a free gift. 
but to receive that free gift, I have to make the agreement that I will leave all of my sins. And I will ask the Holy Spirit to break the power of lust, of pride, and of every other sin. I will give that into the hand of God. I will give my sins into Jesus' hands. Just at this moment, Finney writes, I again thought I heard someone approach me, and I opened my eyes to see whether it was so. But just then, it was distinctly shown to me that my pride was the great difficulty that stood in the way. An overwhelming sense of my wickedness in being ashamed to have a human being see me on my knees before God took such powerful possession of me that I cried at the top of my voice and exclaimed that I would not leave this place if all the men on earth and all the devils in hell surrounded me. What, I said, such a degraded sinner as I am, on my knees confessing my sins to the great and holy God, how can I be ashamed to have any human being, a sinner like myself, spine me on my knees endeavoring to make peace with my offended God? The sin appeared awful, infinite. It broke me down before Jesus. Just at that point, this passage of Scripture seemed to drop into my mind with a flood of light. Then you will seek, you will pray, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Jeremiah twenty nine twelve and 13. Somehow I knew that this passage of Scripture, though I don't think I'd ever read it, I knew it was the Word of God and God's voice that spoke to me. I instantly seized hold on this with my heart. I had intellectually believed the Bible, but never had I known that faith was a voluntary trust instead of an intellectual state. I was conscious of trusting at that moment in God's veracity. Lord, I take you at your word. You know that I am searching for you with all my heart, that I've come here to pray to you, and you've promised to hear me. I told the Lord that I would take him at his word. What I'm wanting you all to hear today is that there is one sin that the Lord God of heaven will always forgive, and that is repentance for pride. Then he goes up the mountain to pray. And God answers his prayer. Had he thought in his heart, you know what? God doesn't answer my prayers most of the time, but I'm okay. I'm on my way to heaven. No, that's not acceptable. 
That's anathema before God. To enter into salvation with Jesus Christ is a matter of faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's not an intellectual matter. It's not a reading of the scriptures and and crying out for myself while continuing to love myself and hold myself precious. It's rather a total giving over of heart, soul, and mind and saying, I will trust Jesus Christ. I believe in him. It's not a do-it-yourself struggle, white-knuckle. It's not digging out of your heart all of the sins that might be there. This is not an agreement between you and your sins. This is an agreement between you and Jesus Christ. And in that agreement, is a sub-agreement which says I will give up my sins. I will give up my sins. I will stop being the one in control of my life and I will say, Lord, whatever you want to do, that's okay. But it means cutting off. I mean, see, Finney had a great advantage over you and over me. Finney did not have a radio. He didn't have secular materials. He didn't have novels. Finney did not have the world's entertainment at his beck and call. He quietly humbled himself before Almighty God and repented of his pride. There's no pride like that of thinking you have all the answers and everybody should do it the way you think they should do it. See, I'm not in charge of another's salvation. Jesus is. And when you come to him and you humble your heart and you admit your sins, when you humble your heart and say, Jesus, please give to me the free gift of salvation. And wash me in the blood. Wash me in your blood. Cleanse me. Make me whole. Now you're getting ready for Jesus to answer yes to your prayer.
Jesus is not going to answer our prayers so that we can go on sinning, thinking that we're favored by God. Oh, God and I have this this agreement worked out between us. I'm going to love him. I'm going to worship him. But I'm going to go my own way and be a part of the world. But I love Jesus, and he loves me, and I'm saved, and I'm on my way to heaven. That's a a prayer that will strip you of all power in the name of Jesus. He will not answer your prayers under those conditions. I was in the public, and I looked over and I saw this woman, probably 35. Every arm was flying, head was jerking, and I almost wept, saying, Lord, I would love to pray for her, for her and have you heal her. but I knew I would only embarrass her and myself because I do not have the permission of Jesus to heal that woman. To heal another person requires a gift of power from Jesus and permission from Jesus. It's not enough to simply be a Christian to adhere to the principles of salvation, to agree with the principles of Christian living. That's not enough. That will not give me the permission to heal or to cast out the demons. It will not give me the permission to pray and have my prayers answered. If God does answer a prayer under those circumstances, it is simply grace and mercy. Will Jesus deliver you today? No. Because as Americans, we have much work to be done. Oh, but pastor, I thought you said it's not the works. It's not. It's the dying. It's the dying to my own will and my own self and my own way. It is the giving up of my heart to Jesus Christ. It is recognizing that Jesus gives me this free gift. Romans, the sixth chapter. What shall we say? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Don't you know that 
All of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we certainly also will be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. That is, utterly destroyed. Is it possible to live a clean Christian life without sinning against God? Yes. But to be in that place, we must have been crucified with Christ. And this old evil nature utterly done away with. Can I tell you, that's done in the prayer closet. This victory in Jesus where we receive his beautiful promise, where we receive from Jesus this gift of baptism, of being buried with Christ, Someone will be tempted to lie. Someone will be tempted to cheat. Someone will be tempted to commit some sexual sin. How do we handle that? The devil comes like a raging lion. We read the word of God. We take authority in the name of Jesus. And we receive from him the free gift. And he comes and he delivers us. Because you are no longer to be a slave to sin. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. I'm reading to you out of Romans, the sixth chapter. That was the seventh verse. Don't come telling me that we're always sinners and always going to be sinners. Don't you believe the word of God? Are you that proud? Are you that determined to have your way? Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God in the same way. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive in God to Christ Jesus. Are you willing to continue living your life and not praying? Because there's no answer. Are you willing to continue living your life saying and confessing that Jesus can deliver you today, but you never have that deliverance and you never get that answer? 
And, and like Charles Finney looking at the congregation there in Adams, New York, saying, please don't pray for me. Your prayers are never answered. Why do we pray to get an answer? And if you don't get an answer, pretty soon your prayer will become cold and hard and rote. And you'll finally stop praying. Except in public, perhaps. There's a great work you need to do in your heart. You need to obey the Holy Spirit and go to church where he tells you to go. Regardless of what your husband or your wife thinks or your children. You need to get on your face and confess all of your sin, especially the sin of pride and stubbornness. You need to come to Jesus and receive the free gift he's offering. It's not something you earn. It's something you freely receive from Jesus. And then your prayers can be answered. Lord, I've spoken as honestly with my brothers and sisters as I can, and many are not very happy about my answer. They want to continue praying, but continue remaining as a part of the world. They don't want to give up the world, the flesh, and the devil. They want to tone it down, but enjoy its benefits. Lord, we need a revival. I need a revival. I'm tired of living with prayers unanswered. I'm tired of living with my pride and the pride of your church. I humble my heart before you today and say, Please, Jesus, do the work necessary in our hearts. Disturb us. Confound us. Cause us to come and lay on our faces before you. And weep. Bring to us, as your people, once more the gift of tears in America. Once more, bring to us the urgency of getting on our faces before you and and going all the way with you, Jesus. Many listening today have only come part way. They've not laid down their money. They've not laid down their time. They're not willing to go where you send them to go to church. They don't want revival. They want to continue in the life they're in. Lord, I pray. There has to be a change. We can't continue this life. So, Lord, I I humbly come today, and I accept from your hand the gift of salvation. I give up all my pride, and I will wait upon you. 
and I will continue to pray for revival. And Lord, I'll pray out of your mercy for the sick, for I have no authority and no power, for you've not released the power to heal the sick and to cast out demons into my heart and life. But I come pleading your mercy for brothers and sisters, for dear ones who are desperately desiring and needing your healing. Lord, deal with them today according to your will. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Well, that's it for our time today. I do want to say thank you to those of you who have given this week. Two or three of you have given. We're really in need of you opening your heart. I'm concerned about where all of you have disappeared. Finances are extremely tight. We are just to the penny. Would you open your heart and give hilariously? Some of you could give a thousand dollars or more. Some of you can only give 20 or 30. Ellen, thank you very much. Thank you, Dirk. Thank you, each one who's given. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I'll talk to you soon.